gospel. Last time as we were able to get together, we saw there about the scroll and how John began to weep profusely over that scroll, that there was none worthy to open the scroll. Now in those days, the property was broken up into sections who was broken up by Joshua. Each tribe had its own area and each person in that tribe had their own plot of ground. During that time, if you, through financial hardship or sickness, you would lose your land. It would be written on a scroll on the outside of the scroll and also on the inside, the things that it would take to redeem the property. One, you had to be a kinsman. You had to be a relative. And two is you had to have the means in which to do it. You had to have the finances in order to buy that out. The scroll we are looking at here was the ownership of the world. Now, God made the world, but he made it for man. And he handed it over to man. He said, it's yours. Everything he made was good. There in the Garden of Eden was the tree of life. Man would have lived forever. All the fruit off that tree you want to eat, go for it. Our property out there, we have some pomegranate, have a pomegranate tree. So we got some pomegranates off it last week, and I've had them sitting in my house waiting to, for them to turn a little red. And every time I look at them, I, I literally begin sliding. Can't wait to open those up and eat them. My kids haven't had a chance to eat pomegranates yet, so... I could just imagine that tree of life. I don't know what kind of fruit was on it, but man, I'm sure it was awesome. Great times. No fear, no bills, no taxes, no crying kids, <laughs> no clothes. I mean, think about that. Of course, that would have been hard for Eve, no shopping, you know. <laughs> But run around naked, man. My kids would love that. They, they, they do that all the time. <laughs> oh, it was ours. But then there was that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan lied, deceived. Man, in his own heart, wanted to believe evil. It's in our hearts, in all our hearts, wanting to believe evil. Wanting to believe a lie wanting to believe that God's trying to dupe us and we got to outsmart him. And so she ate of that tree that God gave him, that one little rule. I mean, no difficult times. One little tiny rule. Don't eat of that one tree out of all the billions of trees. Don't eat off that tree. And they blew it. Well, at that point, earth was snatched by the devil. He's called now the God of this world. He's called the prince of the power of the air. You can't see it, but right now in the spiritual realm, there's actually fortifications of the devil. There's actual strongholds. There's actual military camps with demons and the devil running it from whatever post he's at. And there's strongholds, and you can sense it. 
I've been several places with other Christians and says, man, can you sense it? Yeah, and we just start describing the exact stronghold the devil has there to a T. We can talk about it because we can sense in our spirit the power that the devil has in a certain area. Certain cultures have demons that have strongholds in that culture or in that country. And so Satan had taken the reins and he now owns the earth. And the scroll that was written was the deed to the earth. And as John began to weep, literally, it talks about profusely, began to, he began to sob with incredible intensity. Convulsions is literally the word there. If you translate it out of wheat, wet much, actually it would be convulsion. He was convulsing with the thought of earth always being damned by the devil always being the curse and the stronghold to bring people down what a horrible place to have to always have no hope a lot of times we can live like there is no devil I know uh, I was talking to a sister here in the church just a couple days ago and it's like times you wake up I wasn't here last Tuesday night I had to go up to L.A. One of the Calvaries there was going through a very hard time and they asked me to come up and talk to the leadership and try to straighten things out a little bit. There's a real devil. <laughs> and if you don't keep on that breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and keep that, sh- that sword of yours sharp in the Word of God, he'll, he'll come up with a, a right uppercut and he'll, he'll knock your block off. He is wandering around like a roaring lion trying to see him who he can devour. He's horrible. I've had fights with the devil and I'm telling you, he is wicked. You know, there's something in us because we're created in the image of God that does hold us back from doing absolute bizardom. You hear these mass murders where the people cut their victims up into little pieces and put them in their refrigerators and all these kind of things. And you find every time those people were into witchcraft. They were tapped in in an unusual way into Satan, able to pick up on some of his characteristics of not holding back to do evil. I mean, I've gotten in fights and I've seen people who have gotten in fights and there's something where you just hate that person, you know, and you're just, you're pounding on them. But there's just something that holds you back from pulling out your pocket knife and just whittling their eyes out. (laughs) Grabbing their face and sticking it in a blender. I mean, there's just something that just keeps you from absolutely doing what really you'd like to do. (laughs) There's a point where we just, we hold back. I'll tell you, I fought the devil. He doesn't hold back. He thinks of the weirdest and the bizarrest and the most evil and wicked things you can imagine, and he goes for it. John, having been an elder, having been an apostle of Christ Jesus, believe me, he had fought the devil, and he knew how horrible that guy was. And the thought of always earth being in a state, being held by the power of Satan, overwhelmed him. But then he said, hold on, there is somebody who is worthy. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
And when John looked up, he didn't see a lion of the tribe of Judah. In verse 6, as we saw last time, he saw a lamb as though it had been slain. Christ, our Redeemer. Man can't redeem. You know, we're getting ready to have the presidential elections coming up here in another month. And they're all telling us, give me the chance, I'll redeem our situation. You got the left side, stinking Democrats. <laughs> for abortion, for Proposition 161, for all these horrible things. And you got the Republicans, just as wicked in their own way, lying and deceiving. Got to choose the better of the two evils. There's no hope. With man, there's no hope. If you're putting some faith, I mean, when every time a, a, a president's been elected and he's lied, I didn't go, oh my goodness, I can't believe he lied to us. Give me a break. I knew the guy was lying. No new taxes. Read my lips. Right. You're going to go four years without any new taxes. I don't believe it. But again, we look at earth and we look at, I mean, if there's just one person that could get an act together. I mean, there's so much land that's not being used. But then just a few hundred miles away, there's people starving to death. But politics keep people in a location to starve to death. Race and hatred. You know, that's the one thing I saw being over in Yugoslavia this last year. You've got the Croatians and the Serbians, and they look just like each other. But now you talk to a Serbian by himself and you say, oh, I can tell a Croatian. Oh yeah, they look very different. And I'll say, oh really? Well, what's that person over there? Oh, he's, he's a Serbian. And I walk a little over later and I talk to that person. I say, what are you, a Serbian or a Croatian? I'm a Croatian. He was wrong. And he was dead certain. He knew what race that person was. And he was wrong. And I played a game when I was there for a week. I said, well, what's he? What's he? You know, because even in the church, there was a bit of prejudice. God was killing that, their love for each other. But it was amazing. I saw that if you didn't have people that looked different, they would find some difference to hate each other over. You know, you got the Hatfields and the McCoys. They both look alike. They have the same language. They live in the same country. They eat the same food. But somewhere down the line, they had some ancestor that was a Croatian, another ancestor that was Serbian, and so they're different, and so they hate each other. They have a racial tension in the country, and you can't tell them apart. So we look at South Africa and our country, look at the black-white situation. Believe me, it has nothing to do with being black. It has nothing to do with white. If our whole country is full of black people, we'd find some way to segregate, you know, the little lighter black people to the little darker black people and we hate each other that way. America was full of just a bunch of white people. We'd find, you know, all the curly-headed white people over here and all the straight-headed white people over here and we'd hate each other. I mean, we need the Lord. He alone can redeem us. And the price that he had to pay to redeem us was unfathomable. If we had been in heaven discussing what it would take to redeem man, and if the Lord would have plotted out to us the torture that 
one who is perfect would undergo. We'd say, forget that. What, is there another way? <laughs> it would blow our minds if we could have been there, saw in Jesus' face, beaten, as it says in Isaiah 52, beyond the appearance of a man. To stand there and watch somebody put a nail up to his hand and then take the hammer back, I'll guarantee you, you would have turned your head away. You would not have saw the piercing of that nail through his hand or the crown of thorns upon his head or the hanging upon a cross and the agony of, as they do the convulsions as they go up and down. Uh, the, the, when your, the arms hang upward, it cuts off the air supply and, and just like when a person is drowning, they fight for their life, so automatically the whole nervous system causes that person to pull themselves up to grab some air, to faint again, to go back, and then to suffocate, and to pull himself back up. Christ, remember, had had his whole back beaten and then up against that splintery cross over and over again for six hours. My goodness, a lamb who had been slain, Christ redeemed us. Interesting story if you look at Ruth, which is really an analogy. The book of Ruth is an analogy of what Christ has done for us. You have this couple who lived in Bethlehem and there was a drought. Bethlehem was sort of like Palm Springs. It's right on the the desert area to the wilderness and so a drought hits anywhere, it triples the, the hurt there. And they finally gave up and said, let's just go to the other side of Jordan and let's go over to the Moabites. They have some fertile ground over there. And so they went. They took their two sons with them, Malon and Shilon. Malon means sickly. Shilon means pining away. Took their two sons, who evidently, they named their sons after some characteristic. So their sons were very sickly, pining away. Look, this one looked like he was ready to die any minute. <laughs> They went on over to the live in the Moabites' land and they lived to adult life and they actually got married, the two sons. But then they died and also the husband died. Elimelech, which actually meant God is king, and Naomi was his wife, which means pleasantness. Naomi was there and she told her two daughter-in-laws, they never had kids, they said, you know, just go on back to your own people and I know God's going to bless you and give you wonderful husbands and you'll have kids and the one daughter Orpah says yeah she kissed Naomi and she went on back to her kinsmen but Ruth after she had left said Naomi no way will I leave you I want to be with you where you live I want to live where you lie I want to lie where whoever your God is is my God. Whoever is your people is my people. Naomi said, well, come on with me. And then they went back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem meant house of bread. She went back and they said, oh, here's Naomi in the house of bread. She says, no, call my name Mara, which means bitterness, for everybody's died. Well, Ruth was with her there and they lived together in extreme poverty. Now, in those days, the welfare system was actually very good. 
The way it was set up is when a person went to harvest his field, he could go to his wheat field and he would have one swipe at it. That was it. Whatever was left over, it was for the poor to come in afterwards. If they dropped some when they were carrying it over to the, put it on the cart and they dropped some wheat, they couldn't pick it up. That would be for the poor. It was called gleaning. So the harvesters had one try at it. Same if they were to go to a tomato field. If there was green tomatoes and they didn't want to pick them yet, they wouldn't have a second pass to the tomato field. The poor would come through, and same with the vineyards and the different trees. And so Ruth went out, and she went to Boaz's field. And she was there gleaning. And Boaz saw her and said, Hey, who is that girl? And I said, That's Ruth, the Moabitess. Remember she came with Naomi? And she goes, Oh, yeah. And he says, Call her over here. And he goes, Ruth, I've heard much about you, and it's a wonderful thing that you're doing, taking care of your mother-in-law. And God be with you, and God bless you. And he told his servants, he says, Listen, when she's behind you, don't swipe very good. Make sure there's plenty left over. And when you're carrying it over to the cart, drop some. Let her pick it up. And if you notice her wandering over into an area that you haven't gleaned yet or you haven't harvested yet, leave her alone. Let her go wherever she wants. And when she's thirsty, she can drink of your water. And when she's hungry, let her come over and dip her bread in your soup. Take care of her. Well, that night, Ruth went back. And she had an incredible uh, day. And, and Noemi looked at her and says, Ruth, man, where you been? You had a killing today, man. She said, I went over to Boaz. And he's treated me well. And she goes, oh, Boaz, yeah. That's actually my brother-in-law. All right. And the harvest, he kept taking care of her. And after the harvest... She came home and Naomi said, Listen, Ruth, they're going to be up tonight. They're going to be drinking. They're going to be eating. They're going to fall asleep in a deep sleep. You hang out in the shadows. When everybody's falling asleep, you go over and you lay at Boaz's feet. And sure enough, that night, Boaz tried to get his feet warm and trying to get the blanket over on himself and he realized, he looked down there and there was Ruth. What are you doing there? Who are you? It's, oh, it's Ruth. Oh, wow. Good to see you. What are you doing here? I'm just here lying at your feet. Okay, I get the hint. <laughs> here, here's some harvest. Here, take some wheat with you. Go home. Don't say anything to anybody. Because I can't redeem you. There's one who's before me. So Ruth went home and she goes, No, man, just send me home. And he says, Don't worry about it, man. Now he knows you're interested. He's not going to let things alone until he has you. That day he went waiting at the gate and there comes his older brother. He says, Hey, come here, come here, come here. And all the elders were there at the gate. Because you know that piece of field out there, that brother, the brother of ours that died? So I've been thinking about it. I've been wanting that field. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good piece of field. Yeah, I think I might pick that up, too. Well, you know, if you do, you're going to have to pick up Ruth, the Moabitess, as your wife and have children. Uh, 
unto our brother's name. Oh, my wife won't go for that. <laughs> now the custom in that day was that if a person, say a man had a wife and that man died, then the brother would marry that wife and have children unto her. Now if that brother died, then the father would appoint. He would wait to have another son. If not, he would appoint another relative to marry to have children unto her name. Now, if the man, the brother, didn't want to marry that sister and sister-in-law of his, he would take his shoe and hand it to her, and she would spit at him in the face. <laughs> and he would be known as the one whose shoe was loose. In other words, he's a dishonorable person. But I mean, hey, the gal was a dog. I mean, he probably didn't have much of a choice, you know. It was really a one of those. No win situations. <laughs> so he had to make the choice. This being an older man, taking a Moabitess as a wife, it, didn't, it just didn't pan out. So he counted the cost and he took his shoe off and he handed it to Boaz. He didn't spit at him in the face. Probably would have been a brawl. So it's a good idea. So Boaz there in front of the elder said, okay, I want to purchase a fill. And he took Ruth as his wife. And they had a son. That son's name was Obed. That son had a son named Jesse. And that person had a son. His name was David, King David. Actually, the lineage goes down, and this person was a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, as we see in the book of Matthew. So the point is, did Boaz really want the field? He wasn't that interested in the field. He already had plenty of land. He wanted Ruth. Now Jesus tells a parable about a treasure that was hidden in the field. And a man found it. And it says he went and he took all that he had and he bought the field. Why? So he could have the treasure that was in the field. When Christ died on the cross, he redeemed the world back to himself. Colossians, it says that now when we receive the Lord, that we're taken out of the kingdom of the devil and we're brought into the kingdom of the Son of his love. We're brought into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus taught the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you're a Christian here tonight, you are in the kingdom of heaven. God has given us of His Holy Spirit to live in us as a down payment that we will someday be face to face with Him. Someday we'll be in heaven with Him. It's a down payment. It's literally the word, our guarantee. And so now that we can live the Christian life, you look at a person who's a non-Christian and if they want to change, they can't. No matter how much they want to change, they don't have the power to change. In Christianity, we do have the power to change through Christ. Through Christ who strengthens us, we can do anything. If we walk in the Spirit, we can have the fruit of the Spirit, and we can change. Christ became a man because he had to become a kinsman to humans, to man. Therefore, being a man... He could therefore pay the price to buy the earth back. 
There is no way that man ever could have been redeemed had not a perfect man bought the deed that had been sold over to the devil. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5. He says, Through the one Adam, sin came into the world, but through the second Adam, sin was taken out. Jesus Christ was the second Adam, as Paul talks about it. The one who died, able to pay the penalty. The Bible says that when there's a sin, there has to be the sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, for us to be made right. And there is no man who could ever be perfect enough to pay the penalty of sin. There's no way you or I could ever redeem ourselves. Right now, if the rest of your life you lived a perfect life, you would still go to hell. Because you cannot make up for your past sin. And God being a perfect God, you cannot have one sin in your life. One sin would separate you from God. How do you know that? Look at Adam and Eve. They committed one sin. They were separated from God. That's all it takes. And there's no way you can make up for that one sin. There's nothing you can do to ever make up. Now, the real truth of the matter is, is if you lived a billion, if you lived perfectly the rest of your life, there's still a billion sins against you. <laughs> it's not one or two. There's maybe one or two biggies that grieve you still, but there's a million of them. A lot of them you don't even realize they exist. And they're there. And the closer you get to Jesus Christ, then you'll realize they exist and you'll realize how horrible you've really been all over the years. You thought you were bad, but you were really horrible. And you'll be thankful all the more that Christ died for you. And so when John looked up, he first saw the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but then he saw the Lamb, not just the Lamb, but the Lamb who had been slain. Jesus becoming a man so he could be our Goel which literally translates our kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ is the only one who could redeem you or I. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Therefore, you are no longer your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Isn't that neat? I love that fact that I'm owned by God. That's what gives you worth. The fact is, is you are worthless and you are unworthy. But the fact that Christ has bought you gives you worth. It's so funny when you look at a type of car or a type of painting or a type of hairdo or a type of shoe or a pair of pants. Look at two pair of jeans. One costs $8, the other costs $50. Why? Well, one says Jordash, and the other one says Kmart. The name put on it makes the value completely change. Here you are. You've hurt people. You've been foolish. You've been stupid. You've sinned your whole life. Tell me, what have you done worthwhile? You're worthless. And you're unworthy to be accepted by God. But now Christ says, I want you. So now you're worth 
You're, you're, you're priceless. Because you are a Christian, you have incredible worth. And tonight, if your self-esteem rests in the job you have or the amount of money you have or your looks or your strength or some talents you have, you're going to end up, you're going to end up empty in the next few years of your life. You're going to come to a place probably wanting to kill yourself. Because you'll find that there is no great worth in anything you are or possess. But if you can come to the place to find that your self-esteem comes in the fact that you are a Christian, that I've been accepted by God, you'll always have hope. Because you are worth so much. You are that treasure that was hidden in the field that Christ says, yes, it's worthy for me, it's worth for me to be nails in my hands and a crown of thorn upon my head to be beaten and tortured because look at that person over there. See Joe over there? See Larry and Mary and Rebecca? They're all a bunch of little rubies and diamonds and emeralds to me. And I want them for all of eternity in heaven says in Hebrews, we need to come into that rest, knowing that the work was completed before the foundation of the world. We're going to see here in Revelation 8 that Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. Christ has planned for you to come to Him for a long time. No man comes to the Father lest the Father calls Him. God doesn't need you. He wants you. That's incredible. That gives you worth. If he needed you, then that would change the worth. I mean, i got to go buy gas. I don't think gas is great. <laughs> I've got to have it. But now if I buy a vase, I don't need that vase, but I want that vase because it's beautiful and it's precious to me. And Jesus says you're his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his own special people called unto himself, who were not his people, but now are his people. You're a praise and a glory unto him. You're worth an incredible amount because we see that Christ became a man that he could be your kinsman redeemer. And there in chapter 8, in verse 8 tonight of Revelations 5, Now when he had taken the scroll and the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is right before the second coming of Christ. And notice what he does. He burns the rest of the incense. The Bible says in Proverbs that your prayers are beautiful. God loves to hear the prayers of the righteous, it says. When you talk to God, God loves it. I know with my kids. I love it. I mean, even in the middle of the night, if I'm exhausted, and my two-year-old son comes in, he taps on my chest, you know. Dad, Dad, I'm thirsty. <laughs> It's great. I just pick him up and I hug him first. Then he's squirming. I first see, I first see, you know. Nathan, no, man, he's a handful. He's really a neat kid now. But when he was younger, every morning, when that kid learned to walk, I mean, even I, probably when he's crawled, I can't remember now. I try to block out bad memories. But I mean, every morning, literally, that kid would come in and slug me. Juice! He never talked. He never talked nice. Juice! And I'll tell you, you got up in a hurry and you got him what he wanted. 
<laughs> oh, the prayers of the saints. God loves to hear you talk to Him. And he, you can ask God for anything you want. There's nothing too small or too insignificant in God's mind. You could ask, say, God, help me to get this cow lick to look right. Help me to lay down. Help me to cut my fingernails. Help me to get my clothes on and get on time to work. God, you can pray for anything. God loves to hear it. It's beautiful unto Him to hear your prayers. But before He comes again, we notice here that He burns the incense, which is your prayers, and He answers every prayer. Let me tell you, friends, don't give up. Pray believing. You'll have the very things you ask of Him. And Christ, when He teaches on prayer, He teaches to shoot for the limit, man. Go for it. He says, He said to this one fig tree, Be cursed. And it died. And the disciples were blown away and said, Man, you said it to die and it died. And Jesus says, Hey, I say to you, You say to this mountain, Be taken and cast into the sea. Whatever you say would be done unto you. He, didn't, he wasn't trying to say, Pray for just little small insignificant things. He's saying, Believe God, man. Believe Him for great things. Believe Him for awesome things. And then He says, if you pray and don't doubt in your heart, but you believe that the things you pray for, you have past tense received, you'll have the very things you ask. And of course, we always need to balance Scripture. When you pray according to God's will, He hears you. So if you know something is God's will, if you see it in the Scriptures, or you know it in God's nature, or you've talked to people and said, what do you think about this? And you've gotten the multitude of counsel in it, seems good to you and the Holy Spirit. This is from the Lord. Don't you give up. D.L. Moody prayed for the salvation of two of his friends. One he prayed for over 50 years. The other one he prayed for almost 70 years. And both of those men were still unbelievers when he died. And before each of those men died, both of them received the Lord. Don't give up. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. If you ask and keep on asking, you'll receive. If you keep on seeking and keep on seeking, you'll find. If you keep on knocking and keep on knocking, don't quit. That door will be open to you. Don't be disheartened. Believe the Lord. Because here we see that He doesn't let one unanswered prayer before He comes again. And there in verse 9, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to the take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth talking about the millennial reign uh, that's going to be coming up here very shortly after the tribulation period so here we see very clearly the church is the one singing this song. And they're stoked. They're singing, yes, of course you're the one. I understand it now. This is the scroll, the deed to the earth. And this is you buying it back. You're going to rapture the church up. And here we are all, all to now going, all right. You know, it's the big party here. You're getting ready to open the scroll and you caught us all up here to see it. Do it, Jesus, because we're going to see in chapter 6 next week, the scroll begins to understand the tribulation period, the wrath that God's going to pour upon the earth to save the Jews before the second coming of the Lord. But He's redeemed us by the blood 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. To redeem literally means to buy. Right now, you are owned by the devil if you're not a Christian here tonight. You say, oh, I'm not worshiping Satan. Yes, you are. Either you're worshiping one of his false gods. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's car. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's a relationship. You're, it's a million gods that the devil set up, false gods to worship. But you're worshiping one of them. You serve somebody. Or you've been bought by Jesus Christ. 100% of everybody here tonight got here because you were born by your mom. Every one of us here has a mom. You were born here by that mom. Now that which is flesh is flesh. But you need a spiritual birth. 100% of everybody who's going to be in heaven is going to be born a second time. A spiritual birth. And I say to you tonight, you must be born again by God's Spirit redeeming you by the blood of Jesus Christ. Having Jesus Christ come into your life and be the Lord, the God, the ruler of your life. You can no longer serve another. You can no longer serve yourself, your own wants, your own wills, your own desire. We see in Romans that people worship the creature rather than the creator. I believe in our country, our chief God is man and his intellect. You can't have him as your God. You have to have the true and the living God. Jesus Christ and through his blood to be bought out of your bondage of the devil and the gods that you're worshiping and the sin that you're in. And there we see this song that they're singing. It's a brand new song, but they're letting us know ahead of time so we know the words. And there he sees, we are kings and priests to God. We are literally going to be rulers. I mean, we're looking at us here tonight. And you don't look like a bunch of kings and priests to me, but hey, we're going to all be rulers. You're going to be a governor or a king or a prince or a satrap or a pharaoh or something. I don't know. <laughs> but you're going to have your area to be a ruler on earth for a thousand years. And they're just praising God for, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be able to rule and reign on earth with the Lord for a thousand years. And there in verse 11, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, now the seraphim, the seraphim, and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. That's 100 million right there. Then it, but there, this number's added, and thousands of thousands. So 100 million times thousands times thousands. There's going to be millions and millions of saints in heaven saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. For the four creatures, four living creatures said, Amen, which means so be it. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever. There it says in Philippians that someday every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And here we see this happening again in verse 13. Notice it says, those such as are in the sea. I believe hell is literally in the center of the earth. And from what I can read from the scriptures, the door to hell is somewhere under the sea. 
deep down in the depths of the sea, in some unfathomable place, I believe there is literally a gate there to Hades, which was Sheol, the holding place where Jesus Christ went and set the one half of it free, the righteous side, and they're now with him in paradise. But I still believe that one side of Hades is there, which also will be hell, the place of eternal damnation. And so those people who are in the earth and under the earth and those who are in the sea, I believe in Hades, all of them, were realizing the blessedness of the Lord and His glory and His honor, His power and His riches. Heaven is going to be a plush place. That place is going to be decked out with gold. The walls of the place we're going to see later on Revelations are these crystal walls and the, the Lord Himself has lighted His place and it's a prism and, and the rainbow is going everywhere. I was sitting on the chair yesterday and, and uh, um, I had a pair of short pants on and somehow the light was coming through the window and there was a rainbow on my leg. And my little boy was there and he was hitting me going, a rainbow, Dad, a rainbow on your leg, you know? And I'm going, what? And I looked down and it was beautiful <laughs> to see that little rainbow. Just imagine the whole place everywhere is just filled with rainbow colors everywhere. And then the Lord himself is going to be there in glory and honor and power. Heaven is going to be an awesome place. And I pray that you're ready tonight to meet the Lord. Have you been bought with a price? Is Christ the Lord of your life? Or are you serving another? Jesus says you can't have two. There's only room for one. Matter of fact, Jesus says that He has to be so God, so much God in your life that it, anything you love in comparison to Him, it's like got to be a hate-love relationship. The most thing you love more than anything, maybe it's your spouse or maybe it's your child or hope it's one of those <laughs> or some friend of yours that God the love that you have for God has to be a zillion times more is Christ first in your life if he's not then you're probably having a lot of bumpy roads he said seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and everything would be added unto you until Christ is number one in your life you are not experiencing abundance in Christ if Christ is not in your life tonight, you're in a very fearful place. You need to fear God. You need to fear the life to come after death. But Christ doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to come to Him and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. Let's all bow our heads here a moment.